Welcome to this week's podcast, Woman Who Chat, where I'll be interviewing women in business who share their inspirational stories and their top tips, especially for you. My name is Sandra Garlick and I'm the founder of Woman Who, and I'm delighted to bring these interviews to you each week to inspire you so that you can achieve in the future. Hello there. We've got Amanda Harris here today. It's great to see you, Amanda. And Amanda featured in the latest edition of I Am A Woman Who. Nice to have you here, Amanda. Hello, Sandra. How are you? Okay? I'm fine, thank you. Yes. Yes. I absolutely loved reading your story. It was a story, it was a complete journey from your childhood. Do you want to just explain a little bit about your your sort of childhood and, and sort of give us some of the, the challenges you faced? Uh, yes, I was, I've been visually impaired since birth and that was noticed very, very early on. And my sight has basically never changed, never got any better. But when I was very young, a doctor very helpfully, he thought, said to my mum, well, she will never drive a car, she will never re- fly an aeroplane, she will never thread a needle. And that started the chain of she will never. So going through school, well-meaning teachers said to me, you will never be able to do art you may never have a job you someone once said to me you will never be employable so the I've had to overcome the challenges of my sight but also the challenges of the expectations of well-meaning people around me and I did get a law degree and I did work my way up worked within HR for a lot of years worked my way up to become a head of HR and then took voluntary redundancy and started my own business. And I am celebrating 10 years of my will writing business this year. So I like to think that I've overcome the challenges along the way of my site and also of what people around me have told me. So would you say you're a really determined lady? Yes, I, and I'm not, I'm not sure where that comes from. There was, there was one I struggled to get a job when I was younger, when I first left university. And my dad, helpfully as he thought, employed me in the print room of his business, which I absolutely hated. And I remember my sheer determination of buying the paper on the way home that night and thinking, I have to get a job out of this paper today because I don't want to be where I am. And I walked determinedly into a solicitor's office and got the job of receptionist. And that was the first job that I'd got on my own merits. And there is something inside me when I think my life's getting to a low where I think I've got to do this. So there's, yeah, there's some strength in there somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, you faced obviously the challenges. I I love the bit in your story where you talked, you know, about going to school and traveling 30 miles on, on getting buses and trains on your own. I mean, that's daunting for an ordinary 12 or 13 year old but you doing it it was it was quite you know significant really it was I I don't think I realized at the time how significant it was as a parent myself I can now appreciate how my parents felt dropping me off at the station in the morning I I lived um, in Doncaster South Yorkshire and the school was in Wakefield so 30 miles on the train with other children with other students but then I had to walk through Wakefield to get up to the school so I had to have some training on the best places to cross and the other children sometimes helped me and sometimes didn't they were 11 12 year old children so but yes I, I didn't think about it at the time. Yeah. And so obviously you were employed, you got to quite senior in HR and then you decided to set up your own business. So what what were the probably additional challenges you faced about going self-employed? At first, 
I thought it was too much of a challenge. I, I decided I was going to set up a business as a will writer, which means visiting clients at home. I can't drive because of my visual impairment. So there was the first challenge. And the little voices in my head said, well, you'll never be able to get there as quickly as other people. You'll always be late. People won't think that you're professional. Once they know that you've got a disability, they won't trust you. All these things went on in my head. But I started to do it anyway. I started out by going to people's houses on the bus, which I could do when I'd only got one client a week. I had the time to do it. But then I worked with Access to Work, which is a government organisation organization which helps people with a disability to stay in work and they said oh you want transport to work do you where's your office and I said no I don't want to do that I want to visit my clients wherever they are within Nottinghamshire and they thought about it for a bit and they said we've never done that before but there's no reason why we shouldn't so they now support me and they pay for my driver and my taxis to do that so there were practical things that I had to overcome but I also had to come overcome my own inner voice that was telling me you can't do this well, obviously, you proved yourself wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> and how nice that you challenged and got access to work to actually put that in place. And I'm sure that other people have benefited from that by you putting that proposition to them. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know of any personally, but yes, I'm sure they've done it for others. Yeah. yeah. And do you openly tell people about your disability or do you tend to keep that to yourself? I I have to make that decision. I have had people in the past who haven't known how to deal with my disability I've actually had people who I thought of as friends and when they found out about the disability they they didn't want to be around me anymore and that 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 has hurt so I do make a decision obviously coming out on podcasts like this means that I am telling the world (laughs) but in the past I've had people who haven't known I've had friends I've known for years and we go out together and suddenly I'll say can you help me across this road and they look shocked but it's a decision that I make based on um, whether I need to and what they what I think their reaction is going to be and getting better at it now as I've said my fear 10 years ago was that people would think of me as unprofessional that hasn't happened so it's made me think actually if people struggle with it then that's their problem and not mine yeah. um, I, I can't change how I am and there were some quite personal elements in your story how challenging was that to actually write you know was it was it quite an emotional journey when you were actually writing a chapter it was it was I struggled to write it down I mean my Martin and I've been married for years Martin lost his sight completely while I was actually pregnant with our son Matthew and before that I'd suffered two miscarriages so there is something in my head that if one of my first pregnancies had gone to term, Martin would have seen the child and actually he's never seen Matthew. And, and I can say it and I've said it to people, but it was the first time I'd written it. So I must admit, I wrote it without thinking about it. My fingers were going and there were maybe a few tears. Yes. Mm. And it's, it's such an inspiring story. I, I found it personally inspiring just reading it. And I'm sure the other readers have too, because you've not let your disability hold you back in any way, whether that's your determined streak or whether that's just your confidence has grown the more you've done in business to actually think, well, that's not a barrier. I can do that. But I love your comment in the book about, and you've said this previously, you know, when you look across a room, you might not actually see people. And, you know, and I have that problem. I'm I'm short sighted, you know, and people are waving and I'm sure I'm thinking, are they waving at me and grab for the glasses? So I imagine it's the same situation. It's, you, you know, looking at people at a distance. 
It is. I mean, I will never trust my sight to tell me that I've spotted a friend in the street, for example, because my, my my brain fills in the gaps that my eyes don't see. So often when I'm walking down the street, my brain will give me the face of people I know for everybody. So I will never walk up to a friend because I, I used to do it when I was younger, you know, hello. Oh, then realise it wasn't somebody yeah. that I knew. So my friends know that they have to actually come to me and sometimes physically tap me on the arm or, or grab me or whatever. But it is... It's an embarrassing disability. It's really embarrassing. I have clients now who stop me in the street and I must look at them as if, you know, they're from another planet because I don't I don't recognise them. I've sat in their homes for an hour talking and I just don't recognise them. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody listening to this? You know, what's the best way to approach you? Is it, is it you know, if you're at a networking event or something, it, it, is it better for somebody to come right over to you and say, hi, Amanda, I'm and give their name? Is that the best way for people? Yes. Yes. If it's somebody that I've met before, if you give me your name, it's really helpful. I'm very good with names and I'm very good with voices. So that's a really good way to do it. If I've not met you before, it's just as useful to say, if they know my name, hello, Amanda, I don't think we've met. Because otherwise, my paranoia kicks in and I think this is somebody I should really know really well and I'm not recognising them. So, yes. I think we all that have that and I'm not good I'm not good with names at all and people come up to me and say hello and I think I know this person but I don't, I can't remember their name you know so I think we all have those those things so I wouldn't take that that it's just something that you have and how well you know great that you can remember names and voices because I'm terrible with names so a great journey celebrating 10 years in business I think that's absolutely fantastic you know it's a testament to your success because most businesses don't last more than two years and you know you've proved that that proved a lot of people wrong, really. And what would you say to somebody who said, you will never now? I do have a stubborn streak. If somebody says, you will never, and it's something I would like to do, then I will try and find a way around it. What I've learned is there are very few things that I can't do. I can usually find a way around it. So it's not that I can't drive a car. It's that I'm not allowed to legally. So I have had a driving lesson on an airfield. So I, I find my own ways around it, which might be different yeah. from other people's. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And if you could sort of share one tip or one, one insight with our audience today, what would that be? If you are facing a challenge, don't be scared to ask for help. My biggest mistake growing up was to try and do everything myself. And actually, if there's something you're struggling with, whether it's because of a, a disability or another challenge or not, there will be somebody out there that can help you with it. Have the confidence to ask for help. Thank you, Amanda. We've been talking to Amanda Harris, whose story features in the 2021 edition of I Am A Woman Who. Definitely suggest reading that story. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Woman Who Chat weekly podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can join me next week to hear another inspirational woman in business. In the meantime, you might want to visit womanwho.co.uk to find out how you can start your Woman Who journey.